0: How's everybody doing? Those people are doing good. Thank you. How are we doing? Okay, much better. We're hitting almost September. Can you believe that? I mean, it feels like yesterday it was March and now it's September and who knows, it's going to be 2021 before we know it and the longest year of our life or the longest spring break of your life will now move on to January and we'll be good, right? I want to echo something that John said and I truly believe what John was praying just a few minutes ago. The things that we are beginning to experience here on campus, the things that we have been experiencing since March and late February, are a direct result of the prayer investment that you are making week in, week out, day in, day out on the church's behalf or the kingdom behalf. Because what's amazing, and, and some of you, we've had these conversations, the church has not stopped yet. We continue to see God moving in powerful ways. We continue to see the gospel reaching out. Many of you have developed quiet times like you've never had before. It's just simply incredible to watch what God has been doing uh, for these last several months. And so as we get into our study on James... We've talked several times, Justin and I have talked, many conversations. James is just a timely book of the Bible to be really studying and getting in because it really sets us up for what happens when we come out of this. What sets us up for how we operate, how we function, how we grow together post-quarantine, when we feel more comfortable getting out, when we get to go back to school. Some of your students are like... I almost like school now with all this virtual stuff, but you know, we just, what do we do now? God, what do we do? What is it that you have for us? What should our actions be, the behavior modifications be? And that's what James really is to me in many ways it's just behavior modification for kingdom purposes and for kingdom glory. This morning, we're going to be in James chapter two, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll get there eventually, but I have to tell you a story that some of you have heard me tell many times, because we're going to talk about favoritism. And, you know, Justin, being that I'm his favorite, gave me this passage along with Lynn Taylor at Mount Julia campus. So thanks a lot, buddy. No, just kidding. But favoritism, this is a very, you know, tough conversation because all of us tend to, we have our favorites, We have our favorite people, we have our favorite foods, we have our favorite things. Uh, No, I'm not going to sing the Julie Andrews thing, but you know, we have those things that we would qualify as our favorite, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, the issue of favoritism can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. So as we study that this morning, don't think of it like, man, you are my favorite, don't, don't, don't. Don't immediately discount that there's a lot of emotion and affection in that statement to that individual, but do think about it from a kingdom perspective. How are we showing favoritism to everyone that we come in contact with, with everybody that is in our midst? How are we helping them see Jesus? Okay, so let's start there as our baseline. But as I do this, I think it's worth telling the story again. Go back to when you were in elementary school, and for some of you, that was a long time ago, for some of you, it was just last year. But back in the day, in the good old days of the 80s, my, my generation, we would play games on the, on the recess or the, the blacktop. We really went to basketball court because it was broken all the time, so we just called it the blacktop. And we'd play out in the grass and whatever else, but we, we would basically, it was pick them. We would put two people that we thought, and generally the two people that were the captains were the most popular two kids at the time. We would put one on one side, one on another, and then let them pick. Everybody knows where I'm going with this? If you don't, here we go. At that time, the first few picks, the first few rounds were generally the athletes, those that would be really good at the game, or, or at least gave the appearance of being good at the game. The next category of people that would be picked are not the athletes, but they're the people that you do want that are definitely better than the non-athletes, okay? So there's like that medium-grade medium person, and then at the very end, there were people like me, and don't say, oh, he's just, no, he really was people like me, We're like, he is just not coordinated. He trips over his own shoelaces sometimes. That was me back in elementary school. It happened. So you have these categories like the the best of the best, the middle grade, and then the please, dear God, don't let me get stuck with them people. Think about social experiment. When we think of favoritism, when we think about some of the ways that we handle things in our world, and we handle some of the things even within sometimes our church, sadly enough, don't we do the same thing that we learned back in elementary school? Sometimes we swap places. We went from the kids at the, the low end to the kids on the high end. We're excited about life, and we, we promise ourselves we are never going to go back. And even though we know exactly what that emotion felt like, we don't care what happens to anybody else now because we don't have to deal with that anymore. Some of us were at the top of the, the totem pole, man. We were the best of the best. We were the bee's knees, and then we got to a new school. We got to a new neighborhood. We got to a new church, and all of a sudden we were lowest of lows. That didn't feel good, did it? And somewhere in their social experiment, we realize that maybe things are different in different places, and not everybody has the same experience. Anybody with me so far? Just want to make sure I didn't need to go back to counseling to deal with some other issues. <laughs> but when we get into the book of James, James says this, and he starts out with a financial situation. And as we're going to dive in, we're going to take it beyond the financial side of things because it's a huge deal still. I've been accused of this myself. But it goes beyond the financial realm and into something much deeper. So join me in James chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. We're going to go through all 13 verses, and then we'll kind of break it down as we go. But James James writes this. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring or dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say, the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name of, the, of that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law that was prescribed in scriptures that love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at this one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Y'all ready to go? We're going to be friends afterwards, right? Most of you, we're good. Let's pray together. Father, as we dive into this scripture, God, this message is not to make people feel bad or put them on a guilt trip. It is to convict us so that we can be better for your kingdom and for your kingdom's glory. So, Father, may your words come alive, not mine. As my friend Justin was praying, may I disappear in this moment and you appear and all your glory be shown as we dive into your word, your scripture, your truth, and really help us walk out of here forever changed, forever better for your kingdom and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as I read through James, I think there's a really clear thing that we all see and it's really obvious. It's not, it's probably even a subtitle in your Bible. And that really is this, point number one for us is that believers should not, believers of Jesus should not show favoritism. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, if you believe yourself to be a Christian, then we are not to show any favoritism whatsoever. Because I believe that all of us would agree that those who Jesus died for are worth showing love, honor, and care and concern for. Amen? And if you don't believe my word for him, then let's take it out of the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. The author writes this, he says, But we do see Jesus, much lower than made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So if you take the author of Hebrews and you take the words that James said, let's just say it a little differently, but put them together. When it comes to this issue of favoritism, we should not have to deal with this issue because everyone that Christ died for, we should love. Let that sink in for a minute. Everybody. And if you need a Greek translation, I don't know what that word is, but I'm pretty sure it means everybody. And if you're in the South, everybody. Everybody that Christ died for is worth showing love to, specifically the love of Jesus to. And if we have anybody in our life where it's like, oh, dear Lord Jesus, let them walk by. I don't want to talk to them. Guess what we just did? If you find yourself walking down the street and you see somebody coming and you slide to the side, guess what you just did? You walk in the grocery store and you're like, oh, I'll go to that aisle later. Guess what you just did? Simple. Simple. If somebody disagrees with you and then all of a sudden you hate them, guess what you just did? That's how plain and simple this verse is. Do not show favoritism. Because anything that we say, well, hey, you don't get Jesus today. That's not on Jesus. That's on you. And if you get to be the judge and jury, we got a problem. And we have committed sin and sin in such a way that that may be, listen to this, that may be the only time they get to experience the gospel. And if I miss, I got to answer for it when I get to heaven. It's not like, well, God, you know, hey, Scott, glad you're here. You tried hard. It'd be like, hey, you did some great things, but I need you to see something. You see all those people over there? Those are ones that needed to hear it and you missed. Man, I'm going to be wrecked in two when I walk in. Because I'm going to say, man, I should have known better. And it wasn't because I was young and didn't know any better. There were those moments. It wasn't because I was a teenager and really hadn't figured out that I, I, I'm... I was there too. Wasn't a young adult, and I was like, well, I'm trying to get my family. Just, no. Every generation that I've been in, I've had the same problem. And so when I tell you that, let me tell you something. Conviction started with me. I can't go around and be like, I'm just going to go over here so I don't have to talk to this individual. I cannot show favoritism because that. I can't look at somebody, two people that walk in, and one person go, hey, I want you to come sit right here. This is the premium seat. The next person, I need you to I need you, to, man, sit in the back. All kinds of chairs around. I don't know, just sit sit back there. That's what's happening. All the way back to the Bible times. You remember in the Bible times, what James is saying here is that basically in the Old Testament, New Testament church, as churches being, if you walked in, you wore fine clothes, you wore the gold rings, you looked the part, you got the premium spots. If you dressed a little ratchety, smelled a little different, didn't really throw in the offering like we thought you should, you were good if you got the floor in the back or maybe my footstool. Man, if we did that today, how many people would show up to this church? Some of you are hearing that scripture and you're like, I wouldn't even be worthy of walking in that door. That's why Jesus said this is an important thing, because when it comes to the kingdom of God, all are welcome at the front. All are welcome in the middle. All are welcome in the back. There is no favoritism. If you need Jesus, then you just come to the table. That's the beauty of the script. That's the beauty of the gospel. We get to get in that situation where we don't have to worry about it. So look at it this way. If we pick and choose who we experience care and wisdom or experience our care and concern, if we pick and choose who the love gets to experience the love of Jesus, if we pick and choose who gets to experience what we have in Jesus, if I'm the judge, listen to me carefully, I'm in direct opposition of the gospel. I'm not fighting for Jesus. I'm fighting against Jesus. If I'm the judge and I'm the jury, then I'm in opposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our situation, when you think about, do I show favoritism? Before you be like, no, I don't show favoritism. This is one of those moments where you need to be silent and think and pray, God, are there those compartments in my life or those situations where I may show favoritism to one individual over another? Sometimes we show favor to the wrong individuals because those individuals we're showing favor to should already know the difference between the gospel and not the gospel. If anything, we should always show favor to those that need Jesus. But here it doesn't matter. Whether you know Jesus or not, we're to love you, we're to care for you, we're to bring you in. And don't worry about the appearance because, as we know, some of you know, the appearance means absolutely squat. Many of the people that walked in with fine clothing and gold rings and and entourages in the New Testament time, they were empty, they were hurting, they were alone, and it was a facade. Some of you walk in here, you got it all together, but as soon as that car door slams, you're like, oh, thank God, nobody found me out today. We just need to come to the table just with a great hymn, just as I am. Come as you are, just as I am. Doesn't matter. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't make a list like, these are the people I'm dying for, and I'm, good luck to you. Christ died for one, he died for all. So as Hebrew says, if Christ loved him enough to die for him, then I need to love him enough to show him Jesus Christ. I do not need to be in opposition against the gospel. I need to be with the gospel. Do the wealthy. Do the appearance. 1 Samuel sixteen seven. Do you remember that moment in the Old Testament where David is out in the field and Samuel is there? He's picking the next king. Jesse brings all the sons, seven of eight sons. That should be a pr- plenty to choose from. He brings, and everybody's got the high quality, the good looks, the athleticism, the, the strength, the, the brain power, the whatever. He's, everybody's got something. And Samuel's like, oh, this must be my guy, right? No, that's, uh, this must be my guy. Yeah, God, I, oh, God, who is the guy? And God looks at Samuel and says, Samuel, whoa, whoa, whoa. Man and and God don't look at things the same way. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I have a guy in this family that has greater heart than anyone in this family. I want him. Where is that guy? Well, he's out in the field. Can you imagine just David walking in, raggedy, smelly, dirty, hadn't probably bathed in several days, and Samuel going, his heart may be clean, but Wow. That's how we operate. Next time you walk up to somebody and you start picking them apart going, oh, man, that, that dude needs a shower. That girl, man, she needs some new haircut. Oh, that, they need new clothes. You got to stop getting past the eye. You got to get past the eye candy test and start getting into the heart check. Because the last time I checked it, those people with a pure heart, those are the ones that, that really, that's who God's looking for. If you came in here this morning and you're like, man, I'm just putting on the Mirage, let me just tell you something. 1 Samuel 16 tells me, tells you, that God is not looking at what you put on you. He's looking for what's inside of you. And if you don't have what's inside of you, and you're lacking Jesus Christ, then today needs to be your day where you say, I'm done with the facade. I'm done with the mirage. I need Jesus Christ. Because I don't need people to treat me with favor. I need Jesus to treat me with love. I need him to treat me with grace and mercy. And trust me, you need God's grace, mercy, and love more than you need a person's favor. Big time. As we get into it, also, let's think about things that goes beyond the financial status. We live in a very, very polarized world. Do we not? I mean, it's probably a good thing quarantine shut down fall sports and colleges. Otherwise, it's probably even worse when we get into football season. But let's go beyond sports. Let's go beyond financial. Let's talk about things that are a little more close to home that nobody wants to talk about in church, but we're going to go ahead and talk about it anyway. If I'm going to get fired today, let's go out having fun. All right, so here we go. Do you show favoritism to a person's skin color? Boy, I got quiet real fast, didn't it? Awkward. Do we? I got to be honest with you, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on something similar, similar topic. I have to ask myself, do I? That's a prayer. That's a matter of prayer. For some of you, and this is being like, we're getting into political season now. Actually, we've been in it for about four and a half years now, but political affiliation? Man, how great it would be if a Democrat and Republican came down and sat at the same table and didn't kill each other? Independent as well? You show favoritism to who agrees with your political affiliation or your ideology? You would hope not, but hmm. Social media might tell us otherwise. How about things like, uh, I don't know, let's, let's throw some other things. We've got some things on the board here. Philosophies, methodologies. in this one, I, as I was thinking about how church should go, some of it, we grew up in traditional backgrounds, and we have a feeling how church should be, but you know what? Our church is led by the Holy Spirit. Would you say that? So my philosophy is whatever the Spirit is, let's do that. My methodology is whatever the Holy Spirit tells us, let's just do that. If the Holy Spirit didn't tell us to do it, Jesus didn't tell us to do it, God, we're not doing it. Well, we've always, I know that, that's great, it was wonderful, but the Holy Spirit did not tell us to do that. Same thing should be true in your home. Philosophy, methodology, how you raise your family, how you live your life. If the Bible doesn't say it, the gospel doesn't say it, Jesus doesn't say it, the Holy Spirit doesn't say it, you shouldn't do it. Simple, plain, still quiet and awkward, this is great. Geographical locations, uh, you know, when I, I came from the great state of Texas, I'm very proud of my Texas heritage, some of you knew that, some of you didn't, some of you are still judging me by it, (laughs) but you know what, there was actually a day and age, like Fort Worth and Dallas, and and Callie knows this because we got to hear all the stories of the good old days, Dallas and Fort Worth are separated about 30 so miles, give or take, because that's about right, do you realize that that might as well have been like one side of the world versus the other back in the day, like if you were in Dallas and went to Fort Worth, you took your life in your own hands, if you went from Fort Worth to Dallas, you took your life in your own hands. I mean, it's very much the uh, Jews and Samaritans kind of conversation. Don't cross the tracks. We'll get you. But that's kind of how we treat things now. Like, oh, you didn't come from my town? Oh, you're from East Nashville, not Nashville? Oh, you're from Mount Juliet, not from Donaldson Hermitage? Oh, you're from Old Hickory. Good Lord, help you. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm from Old Hickory, so Lord, help me. But geographical, it doesn't matter. We're going to get to a situation where Jesus, in one conversation, in less than 60 seconds of conversation, broke down four barriers. A little teaser for you. Hang in there with me. Stay awake. Last one, perceived reputation. Many people walk into churches, walk into our life, walk into our business, walk into our homes. They have a reputation that precedes them. And you show them favoritism, not based on who they are, but the perceived reputation of that individual, both in a positive and a negative way. You cheapen the opportunity to build a a relationship with that person when you just take them on their reputation. Because what if their reputation is wrong? And I'm not talking about the good one. I'm talking about both, the, the extreme bad and the extreme good. One's in the middle. What if you only knew them by their reputation? You may show them favoritism, but you also may show them the door. Jesus says, I don't care about their reputation. I just need you to show them me. And live out. So we got things in there. But th- there's also another side of this coin. And this is the second point that really, Justin and I were talking about it, and, and, and Lynn and I were speaking about this too. We sometimes don't think that I have an issue with, or we have an issue with favoritism, right? But what if your issue is not showing favoritism to people, but it's, re- it's reverse favoritism when you're trying to receive it from people, we need to guard our hearts against reverse favoritism. Now, since that's not in a dictionary, and that's probably not even good English, let me tell you what that means in Scott Matthews' lingo. Reverse favoritism is something you're saying, I'm the favorite. And so whatever we're doing, it's because it's my way or the highway. you All the attention that you're supposed to, that you want to give to everybody else, you give it to me, because I'm the favorite. I'm the right one. You don't believe me, you don't believe the same way, well, you're wrong, and I'm right, and God help you because you're wrong. Reverse favoritism. It's all about me. Now, before you say, well, that's not me. Oh, man, Scott, you talk to him. You get him hammering, buddy. (laughs) Guess what? If you can quickly say it's not you, guess what? It probably is you. You can quickly say, I don't show favoritism. You probably do. Because I'm telling you, you do not just take words on a page and go, yeah, don't have a problem with that. You take these words off the page and you go sit sit with your Bible and you sit in your prayer time and you ask God, do I have this problem? Is this an issue in my life? Because it needs to get resolved so I only ooze and display the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reverse favoritism is deadly and dangerous because it doesn't give anybody a chance to, to know your heart. It doesn't give you a chance to develop your heart. It doesn't give anybody a chance to feel important of their own because it's all about you. And you have successfully become the center of your own worship. How do I know this? Man, if you get on any of our social media sites and they're like, man, he harps on social media all the time. Get off. I probably should. It'd probably be more healthy for me. But do you know how we glorify ourselves? What if we glorify Jesus the way that we glorify ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings and our situations? What if we celebrated and championed our friends that had just some gospel moments in their lives? And just, man God, what, man, God is doing some incredible things over there. Man, praise the Lord. Imagine how things would change. We have to get past reverse favoritism. And the way we do that is with the third thing I want to share with you. We do that because we love our neighbors well. We, we have to get past our judgment and ourselves and we have to love people well the best way the best story that i could find to describe this to you in a way hopefully that makes sense is jesus or the woman at the well told you you here the teaser earlier here comes the meat. you all remember that situation that story if you're not familiar with the bible let me tell you in the bible in john chapter 4 it's a great book of the bible if you need a quiet time for the week john chapter 4 in a few verses verses 7 to 10 exactly John's, or Jesus sits down, and John records this after the fact, but he, Jesus sits down, and he is thirsty. It's in the middle of the day, the disciples have gone into town for a drink, and a woman who is a Samaritan walks up, and this happens. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciple had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, the Samaritan woman? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. 60 seconds or less, four barriers just got broken. Favoritism was just ripped to shreds in 60 seconds. How? One, cultural and gender. Jewish men did not talk to women in public, ever. Didn't matter what country you came from, what side of the tracks. If you were a Jewish man, you did not talk to a woman in public, including your wife. You saved that for private. Cultural barrier broken. Gender. Once again, Jewish men did not talk to women in public. You had a Jew talk to a Samaritan. You had an ethnic racial barrier that was now broken. Then you had the spiritual barrier broken, because then Jesus said, look, if you knew who was talking to you, you would know that he's the one that you need to get a drink from and it's going to change your life both for a moment but now forever also forever not only did Jesus change that woman's life in 60 seconds or less but then she ran back into town got all her friends because he's like man he's telling me stories about things that nobody knew about and I hadn't told anybody and all of a sudden he knows and all of a sudden their lives are forever changed Jesus loved his neighbor well even though his neighbor didn't come from his side of the tracks did not have any reputation in which to to worry about. She, when she was an adulteress. She had lived with several men. She had been divorced. All the things that they're having a conversation, it wasn't supposed to happen, but favoritism does not exist in the name of Jesus Christ. All these things are broken. How we love our neighbor well. James chapter 2 verse 8 says this, if you will just prescribe to the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, he says you'll do well. You're like, how do I, man, how do I get past this favoritism that exists in my life? Just love your neighbors well. I don't know how to start. Start with the people in your house. It's good practice. You know, the next time that somebody leaves some dirty clothes on the floor, maybe don't blow up. Maybe next time the TV's left on or the dishes are out or somebody doesn't clean up the way you think, or, you know, what, don't blow up at them. Love them well. Love them well. Celebrate what's inside your home before you celebrate what's outside your home. And begin to love your neighbor well. Practice there and then let it, let it branch out. Jesus broke the norm of tears because cultural barriers don't dictate behavior. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you do. We show the same love, the same affection to every single person. Gender doesn't determine a person's value. We We have that fight constantly. Constantly. Men worth more than women. Women getting equal. If you just treated the person, the human being, the same, it doesn't matter if it's male or female. Man, things would be different. Things would be better We just need to love people the same because Jesus loved us the same. You get into a situation where ethnic and other races are embraced, not shunned. Do y'all sometimes not understand that heaven is going to be the most beautiful mosaic of creation? There's going to be black men, there's going to be brown men, there's going to be white men, there's going to be red men, there's going to be women, there's going to be children, there's going to be old people, young people, middle-aged people. There's going to be people that you never knew that you were going to like that are going to sit there in heaven and be like, man, I wish I would have got to know you before eternity. Heaven is going to be a beautiful place, so let's practice on this side of eternity. Let's practice, if one of us is hurting, then let's go hurt with them. Let's lift them up by their arms and let's say, we're going to carry on together. Because if we could practice that, then man, things would, and favoritism wouldn't exist in this church and in this community because we love each other so well. I don't care where you came from, if you've been here your whole life or you're an alien like me that came here whatever time ago, man, if you get in this community, we are going to love you like you are a brother and sister. Eternity with God is available for all. Repeat that, all. Would you say all? All people have the opportunity for eternity with God through Jesus Christ. There is no distinction. Greatest of sinners, worst of sinners, middle grade. I did one, I did a 1,000. All people can have eternity through Christ. All people. Maybe we should start acting that way. Maybe we should challenge ourselves. The last thing that, that he says here, let me give you a couple quotes, and I, I can't pass these up because they're good. Bob Goff, some of you know Bob Goff, you've read his books, he's a, he's a friend of, 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 uh, of us, at least in, as far as familiarity Bob Goss says this, we should love difficult people because you're one of them. Some of you are like, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. If you sin, guess what? You're difficult. I'm difficult. Welcome to the club. We have t-shirts. It's awesome second quote is this and Lynn Taylor many of you know Len he's our campus pastor at Mount Druitt we actually got a chance to preach this sermon several years ago and in our time of studying then I was reminded of it Lynn said this and, and, and some of you you know that he said, he said we only believe as much Bible as we practice we only believe as much Bible as we practice I think it's time we start practicing James chapter 2 how about you man the world would change if we just did that But we have to remind ourselves, the last point that we have today is if we break just this one, if we show favoritism and we keep people from the gospel, we cheapen the gospel in certain ways, if we break just this one law, then we've broken them all. Kind of like James was saying, look, if if you commit adultery, the, the same person that committed adultery is the same person that says don't murder. But if you're good on the adultery, but you commit murder, guess what? You broke all the laws. Aren't you grateful for the blood and grace of Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter if I broke one or a thousand of them. I have the same chance for eternity. But I don't wanna break laws, I wanna start living laws. I wanna start, start being the example to share with my friends and my family, my community, my church, my world. Laws are boundaries. If I live by the law of Jesus Christ, if I live by the gospel, if I live by the Bible, I'm not bound, I'm free. If I live by the law of the scriptures, I'm not bound into robotic, I'm actually free to go live in the country and the world in a way that brings people to the table. The law does the direct opposite of sometimes we think. It's not to keep us down, it's to keep us free. And so Jesus Christ, through the gospel, through the Old Testament scriptures, through the things, we are free because, go back to Hebrews, if Jesus loved them enough to die for them, then I'm supposed to love them enough to show them Jesus. If I'll example the law, if I'll live it out, if I'll fulfill it, if I'll do the things that Jesus has asked of me, I won't have to worry about breaking laws because I'll be living them. I'll be doing the things that Jesus has asked me to do. So how do we love people in the way that Jesus did? The first thing is we got to develop our love with Jesus, our personal self. I can't love you the way that Jesus did if I don't have that love for myself. I can't give you something I don't have. And for some of you, you just have to understand, salvation is not association. Okay? Salvation is not association. Meaning... Well, I know Jesus, and I go to church, and there's some crosses, and they talk about Jesus, and I know a little bit about Jesus. That is not salvation. It's not salvation by association. It's, it's salvation by confession. Confess that I need Jesus Christ. There are things in my life that I have royally messed up, and I wanna live by the royal law, not the royal penalty. Jesus, help me, love me, come into my life not just so that I'm okay, because I got people around me that need to know your love and your grace and your mercy too. But it's gotta start with you. Develop that relationship. Get into scripture daily. Start reading the Bible like, man, I don't wanna read a cover to cover. Don't read a cover to cover. Find a few verses and start there and until you can live those out, then you just keep reading and keep praying. And then once you figure those verses out, then go add a few more and add a few more until you get the Bible covered but start reading scripture because you wanna know what God's supposed to do, then go live out what he said. That's what we do. The second thing is we gotta ask Jesus for help. You have to pray. You have to develop a prayer time. You have to develop that situation where you're asking God, how do we know that favoritism is not a part of our life? How do I know that reverse favoritism is not an issue for me? How do I know that I'm not showing favoritism beyond ways that I think I am? Because you're praying about it and you're exposing yourself to God and saying, God, whatever imperfections are in me, would you bring them to the top And by your grace, wipe them out. So that what is left of me is pure Christianity, pure belief, pure faith, pure love, pure grace. But you have to ask Jesus for help. And it cannot be when you feel it. It has to be daily. It has to be every day of your life, moment by moment, throughout the day, that you just have an existing conversation with God that does not stop, and you constantly ask him for help, saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is an issue for me, but I need you to show me. And then you just begin to walk it out. And then the third thing is probably the easiest one, because once you start developing a relationship with God, and once you're praying and God is revealing things to you, then you just practice. You practice unconditional love. You know, Justin said something when we first got here, and, and I don't have it on the screen, but it's a quote that's very familiar to me. Practice makes permanent. We used to say practice makes perfect, but Justin spiced it up a little bit, because it's Justin, let's be honest. And he said, practice makes permanent. So I need to practice unconditional, law, un- unconditional love so that it's permanent in my life. So it's never an issue anymore. I gotta practice. Well, Scott, that'll take a long time. That's the point. Because along the way you're gonna add people to that conversation and more people are gonna get exposed to Jesus Christ. Look around the room for me. Just just take a look. Don't embarrass yourself and you know do the awkward wave that wait cover that, we're good. You see empty chairs in here? Online. Those are, do you see room that there could be some more viewers? Let's go get those people. Let's go start practicing unconditional love in their lives so that they'll come and fill these chairs, that they'll come and join us in our chat rooms. Y'all realize just in, in the next moment, Terry Fitzsimmons, Justin, and the elders, Sean Evans, we were talking about this in our elder meeting just a few weeks ago. We have potentially five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people that live within two, three minutes of this church, about two, three minutes meaning turn on the car, get out of the driveway, drive across the street, turn off the car, get in the church, two minutes kind of thing. We got apartments, we got neighborhoods, we got a new neighborhood coming in. We got one that we just did some ministry in because a tornado just blew through there. We got this one that just, 40 homes just, just showed up. Let's go get them. We got other neighborhoods in Donaldson, new neighborhoods in, in, in uh, Hermitage that just came up. Let's go get them. Let's go, let's go fill this place with people. And man, why is your church growing? Why, what is it that's happening here? We're just loving Jesus and we're loving people. That's all we're doing. You, what's the secret? What are you doing? Like, What are the gimmicks? And there's no gimmicks. It's just the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if you're brown, if you're yellow, if you're red, if you're financially wealthy, if you're the poorest of the poor, you smell great, you smell terrible, you have a good car, you don't have a good car, you had a good education, you have no education. It doesn't matter if you know church. It doesn't matter. Just get in here and let's love, let's love Jesus together. And we will do something that this world needs, and that is spark revival. In such a way that really leads to some kingdom growth in ways that we haven't seen in years how do i do that get over favoritism how do i do that ask god for help develop that relationship with god and then practice we'll do those things and we won't have to worry about favoritism we'll we'll live out james 2 8 to perfection we'll subscribe to the royal law and we'll do it in such a way that brings honor and glory to jesus before it brings honor and glory to myself Let's pray. Father, we got people in this room right now. They need to know that you love them and care for them. God, they have been the victim of favoritism before. They didn't know that they were important or they were made to feel less important. But God, your gospel, your Bible, the words of James this this morning tells us that every person is equally loved in the eyes of God. That if we will do the things that your Bible says, if we will love people in such a way That we will love them like we love ourselves and we will do well. God, let that be the starting point of how our church begins to grow and change for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we can't do that if we don't have a relationship with you. So if there are people in our midst, if they're right here in this room, if they're online joining us and we don't have a relationship with you, God, let today be the day that we confess, we give our life over to you, we admit, we believe and we change, we convert and just ask Jesus to come into our life. Because God, it's not just us that need you. It's every single person around us that needs you. So, Father, as we begin to reflect, if there are things and tendencies in our life to show favoritism, would you erase them through the power of your Holy Spirit? If there are ways that we've gotten it wrong in the past, would you erase it through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you walk with us? Would you teach us? Would you just continue to allow James' word to modify our behaviors in such a way that we only live for Jesus? And, God, this verse has been so powerful, Hebrews 2.9. That Jesus died for all, so I should love all. So God, help me as a leader. Help me as a man, a father, a husband. Help me as a friend and a brother. Help me to do all the things I can to love people well and lead people to your son and to your glory. God, as we respond this morning, this time is yours. You teach us, you talk to us. If we need to stand and sing, we'll do it. If we need to sit and meditate, we'll do that as well. But whatever you want to do this morning, it's for you and for your kingdom alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.